Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the one-to-one career conversation podcast. This week we're speaking to Scott Russell from Paddy and Scott's Coffee. Paddy and Scott's Coffee is a really unique brand. It all started out with a genuine love of coffee tasting between two friends. Paddy and Scott teamed up and decided to have a go at blending and slow roasting their own coffee in Scott's garage. The coffee they produced on a second-hand coffee roaster, which was aptly named the Old Smoky, soon grew in popularity. And now Paddy and Scott's delicious slow-roasted coffee is available in quite a few more locations and to quite a few more people, but it's still made in the same slow and exacting way. Alongside this, Paddy and Scott's also supplies some of the UK's finest hotels, restaurants, and their branded cafes can be found in their head offices to some of the world's great brands and companies. Scott started out in the telecoms industry and now owns this amazing coffee brand. In today's conversation, we cover everything from the design of coffee shops, Scott eating a coffee cup on stage, owning your own coffee farm, training your team and how to make them exceptional, award-winning apps that help him run his company better, and a strategy for taking on the big boys in the coffee industry and how he had to go back to basics when things weren't going so well. We talk about branding, fueling ambition, and how he manages to get his brand so joined up across his whole company. If you like today's conversation with Scott, please do rate and review the show, especially in iTunes, as it really does help us out. Here's the conversation with Scott Russell from Paddy and Scott's Coffee. Hey, Scott, how are you? I'm incredibly well, sir, and uh, I'm assuming you are as well. I'm wonderful. So uh, thanks for asking. So let's talk about your career to becoming the founder and CEO of Paddy Paddy and Scott's, a really unique coffee brand. How did it all begin? Oh, wow. So uh, this is my 31st year in business. Uh, I started when I was 19 um, and I sold my first company when I was 24. So, um, you know, I I had this this, this amazing business that that somebody wanted to buy. And that just created this this amazing opportunity uh, that I took at the time. And I, and I learned so much from selling the business, which allowed me then to use that and then create my next company. Uh, and my next company, and Paddy and Scott's, is my fifth business. So, um, so you know, I've, I've been around the block a few times. For this baby face, I have actually been around the, uh, the block a few times. <laughs> so, so up until 2010, you were heavily involved in the telecoms industry and call center environment. Can you just talk a little bit about the companies that you were involved in and the companies that you owned? Sure, sure. So my first business was a, uh, a, a national call centre for emergency plumbing. Um, and I got involved in that just by door knocking when I was a young kid. And that's knocking on doors and, and asking people would they like to sign up. Um, and we sold that company to GE Capital, which at the time was one of the biggest companies in the world by market capitalization. And they paid a tiny little fee of six and a half million quid for the business. But at the time, you know, I had this chunk of cash. Uh, and then that got me back into the call centre marketplace. So um, I then built a business called Cable Telecom Europe, which I sold to Telstra, the Australian government-owned telco. And then we had a small engineering business that we sold through an MBO, uh, a little shoot-off. And then the last business I sold was a telephony healthcare business. uh, And uh, that had 18 million customers when we sold it. And uh, we sold that for quite a lot of cash. And uh, I was 36 and I thought far too young to retire. So what, do I, what, am I, what am I really passionate about? I'm passionate about coffee. It kept me going. So I thought I'm going to build a really cool coffee business. And that's where it all started. So um, I think at the time my wife just wanted me out of the house. So um, it, was, uh, it was a good time to be involved in the craft coffee industry. We're one of the pioneers. It's our 13th year of business now. So, um, you know, we're one of the pioneers in the craft coffee industry here in the UK. 
Is, am I correct in thinking you have around 250 bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and hotels that you now support through Paddy and Scott's? How did you come up with that idea of just like, right, I, I'm now going to do coffee from telecoms to coffee? What, what was the thought process? Well, it was always the fuel to keep me going. And uh, I always, uh, you know, adored coffee. And I love the vibe, the culture. I was in sort of quite sort of high octane tech. And sometimes you just have to break out. You have to get out there and grab a cup of coffee. And you just need to do it. And, and it, was, it was this wonderful passion that I had. And I always said to myself, if I ever got out of tech, I'd get into something that I really enjoyed doing. Um, and unlike running a pub, bar, or restaurant, I really wanted to get involved in coffee. And uh, we've actually got quite a few more accounts that we look after now. So I think we look after about 1,500 sites in total. But there's about 250, 260 branded concessions that we do. So, um, but, um, but the reach is, 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 is a little bit, uh, prior, to, prior to COVID, we were producing about 80,000 cups of coffee a day. So, uh, oh. so yeah, not a bad business. And then you hit the news in the Sunday Times for Food Writer. And it, as I think I read on your website, it lit the blue touch paper for you. Um, can you describe a little bit about what happened and why it had such a profound impact on your business? Yeah, of course. So, so, so Paddy and I at the time were, were just doing sort of farm shops and, and, and delis and, and we were just selling in, in market fairs. And uh, we were making, we had this little espresso machine on our bar and we would just make a cup of coffee. And we had this woman that just turned up and just said, look, could you make me a, uh, it was, I think it was an espresso at the time. I don't think the flat white had been invented. So it's a little espresso. And she went to me, oh my God, that is the best coffee I've ever tasted. She said, it's, there's loads of almonds coming through, there's nuts, there's these, these sort of dark cherries. And uh, tell me about the business. So we were chatting to this girl and she happened to be a food writer for the Sunday Times. I believe it was the Sunday Times. And then she wrote about this amazing coffee, slow roasted in deepest suffolk by these two lads called Paddy and Scott's. And then the phone started ringing off the hook. This was before social media, this was before putting things on Instagram and, and so forth. So uh, printed media was a, a really important part of the, so it was a real lucky, lucky break. Yeah. Um, and it was only a bit of fun, but it turned into a real serious business. Was that the moment then that you just thought, like you did a little dance in the back when she left, like you just thought, oh wow, how lucky to be speaking to a food writer at that very moment. You must have been like elated. I, I was doing a little jig. I mean, I was jumping around, you know, fist pumping. So uh, yeah, absolutely. No, we loved it. And uh, it was just, yeah, great. Uh, and we didn't know, we just literally, uh, we, we, we didn't even know that she's writing. Um, and it just appeared and somebody said, hey guys, you're in, you're in the press. And, uh, and it was picked up by a couple of Michelin star restaurants. They got us in to create some coffee. And then originally uh, our blend was created by a chap called Ian Rhodes of the Milsons Group. And um, so he's the founder of our taste profile. So I always plug uh, Ian Rhodes and the brilliant company Milsons whenever we are um, talking about the, the early days of Paddy and Scott's. So then in 2009, after serving around just shy of a half a million cups of coffee, you decided to start really disrupting the coffee market and taking on some of the big boys. What was your strategy to get that done? Being ballsy. <laughs> <laughs> just taking one. I mean, our brand is quite edgy. Some of our slogans are very, very, um, you know, they're, they're, quite, uh, they're quite punchy. Uh, they're, quite, uh, they're quite on the mark. And I just think the market was crying out for an edgy brew dog style coffee business to take on the establishment. So uh, the nullified conglomerates that were, that were sort of dominating the high street needed a, a slap. And I think we gave them a bit of a slap. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's one of the things that I love about Paddy and Scott. So 
I've bought it for most members of my family. Um, and it's truly the branding from start to finish, whether that is the language, the copy on the website, the how your team members speak about the brand, whether that's on LinkedIn or in interviews that they do, the naming of the coffee. So my favorite one is like the sexy, the sexy black from cold brew. I love cold brew. I would drink that all day. If it didn't have coffee, caffeine in it, I'd probably drink far too much of it. But can you just talk a little bit about fueling ambition and how you managed to get that so joined up across the company? Yeah, well, it, it sort of dates back to the three or 400 years when I think King Richard II tried to ban coffee shops in, in London because he said that, um, you know, if he was a peasant like me, you'd be no problem to anybody. You'd work on the fields all day long. You, would, uh, you wouldn't drink the water because it was disease-ridden. You'd stumble into an alehouse and you'd drink mead or beer and you'd fall over and you'd do it again. And if you were lucky, you may live until you were 35 and then kill over and die. If you was an academic, if you was a philosopher, if you was a pioneer, if you was ambitious, you wouldn't meet in a bar, you'd meet in a coffee shop. And these coffee shops were just dens of ambition. It's where uh, Lloyd's of London was created. It's where, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's where the, uh, the, the academics would, would get together. The London Stock Exchange was created in a coffee shop. Um, and I think the king at the time tried to ban them because he said that they were going to become, they would take over the government. So they've always been this amazing hub of ambition and we wanted to own the space. So our coffee isn't coffee, it's fuel. Our, our, our drinks are not there to quench your thirst. They're there to fuel your ambition and grab a cup of coffee, be inspired by the caffeine kick, pick up your phone, go for a run, hit the gym. That's what it's all about. So it's trading in that space there. Um, and that's what we wanted to be famous for. So it isn't a cup of coffee, it's a cup of ambition. Fantastic. So in 2012, you took a trip uh, with the aim of buying your own farm, India, Brazil, Colombia being some of the target countries. You came back a bit empty handed and you learned a lot about doing business in those countries it, with it being ultimately fraught with massive pitfalls. Can you outline some of the things that you learned during those trips? I think it's fair to say massive guns. I mean, you know, we're talking a place where the, you know, <laughs> the, the currency is a Kalashnikov in dollars. So um, it, it sort of scared me a bit. And there's different tribes, there's cultures. There's a coffee is, I believe I'm right in saying, the second most commonly traded commodity in the world. Oil will be number one, coffee number two. So there was this, this supply chain that was filled with brokers, hedge fund managers, trading these options on the world market, secondary brokers. Um, you know, shipping agents, cooperatives, there was this whole supply chain um, and we tried to break that down and we couldn't do it initially. It was just too fraught with pitfalls, but it didn't put us off. It didn't put us off. The guns didn't put you <laughs> off. No, no, nearly been kidnapped, dude, but uh, I'm a fast runner. <laughs> and I can run faster than Paddy, so the first, don't worry. <laughs> So you were like, I, I can run faster, he's slower, I will be fine. I'll be fine, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, but it, was, it was trying to understand the supply chain. And, you know, we, we, we do things differently at Paddy and Scott's. So we wasn't just happy buying green bean. We wanted to know where it was coming from. We wanted to know what was behind the farm. We wanted to know how much the farm was being paid. We wanted to understand the supply chain route and what was the money doing within the community. And we, I didn't like what I was seeing and I wanted to change that. In 2017, actually, after serving 
a massive 52 million cups of coffee. You, you launched that farm in, in Kenya, creating the world's first direct collaboration between the farm and the consumer. Can you talk a little bit deeper about that project and why it's so critical to your company? Uh, it's, it's what we stand for, isn't it? If, if, if you ever had to it's, it, epitomize what fueling ambition was about, it would be the Maru Farm Project. So it's all about um, taking that sort of three, four dollar cup of coffee and sharing that retail margin with the community. Um, so, uh, and that includes um, not just the farmers, but the whole community around the project. So when we first arrived in Kenya, um, we, we, we realized that we could do so much more if we shared the retail margin. And it's more than just coffee now, it's, it's a whole community of school, it's a food program, it's uh, feeding children, uh, it's, it's working direct with the, the whole community to see how much we can help. Um, and that's been a real humbling and uh, really emotional journey. And then in 2013, jumping back a few years, it was a huge year for you, actually. You, you were part of a community of the UK's top companies geared for growth with, alongside the government. And then also a year that you opened 67 new coffee shops, so more than one a week um, at a flagship store too, a super busy year. How did you get all that done? Like it seems really a big accomplishment for just one year. Yeah, well, I mean, that sounds really grand. I mean, these were concessions, remember? So we didn't do the hard work of opening. We just put our wings above the door. So I can't take credit for all the hard work of the, the concession partners that helped us grow that year. Uh, and I think that we, we overtraded, if I'm honest with you. Uh, we just, uh, we grabbed every opportunity uh, we, we just went for turnover. We, we started to lose what we, we stood for. And um, it's great being nominated by Lord Young the, uh, and the Prime Minister as one of the top rising star companies in the UK. But you've then got to back that and you, 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 you struggle with that growth unless you can monitor it. And um, I think that's a prime case of overtrading and it hurt us the next couple of years. So is that what led to in 2015 bringing in the franchise model and at the same time sort of going back to basics a little bit and stop supplying supermarkets and just hit back to through the strategy of going back to basics. It, absolutely spot on. Yeah. We, we were, we were chasing turnover all the time. We were chasing a uh, market share. We, we weren't even worrying about profitability. You know, that will come, that will come. Well, if well, it doesn't come and all of a sudden you're looking down the barrel of some big losses coming in and, you know, you have cash flow issues, you have, you know, investment that, that you need to put into these programs and you start robbing people to, to people. And I think that when we looked at our business, it was just, we were believing our own hype. We were starting to believe that we could walk on water. And uh, that was a big wake up call for me. So talking a little bit about those stores, we, we touched on them there. They follow a really unique design around the company history, the red and black to a living room design. Can you talk a little bit about those touch points and why they're pretty important yes yeah, so everything we do is authentic so authenticity is, is the new currency and, and it really frustrates me when you sort of walk into these fake italian sort of coffee shops and you know these over styled sort of speciality coffee bars nothing's real it's all quite fake when you walk into one of our bars everything is real from the the, the drying tables the, the real african drying tables on the wall to the old school chairs to the, the upcycled wood, to, you know, everything there means something. It all ties back to our farm project in, in Maryland and Kenya. So I think that's really, really important. And I think the consumer gets that as well. So it ties into our branding, our packaging. Um, you know, I, I gave a TED talk where I, I ate a physical cup on stage to prove that I could, not only was it compostable, but you can eat the bloody thing. And it gave me terrible indigestion. I couldn't swallow it, but I was determined to swallow this cup 
in front of this audience to show them, there you go, you guys, that's sustainability. Um, and I think those are the sort of things that make Padding Scots, Padding Scots. And it's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. Otherwise, don't do it. Keep the consumer at your own peril. One of the big things which you're clearly very passionate about, I mean, it's everywhere on your website, is training. And you launched Paddy and Scott's Barista Academy, making that really the heart of everything that you do. So what's involved with the academy and how does it bring value to your company? Hey, look, you know, we, we, won't, we won't put the wings on the wall unless we know the barista's gone through the full training program. I can make the best coffee in the world but a barista can ruin it in two minutes. So absolutely decimate that kind of that coffee. They can oversteam the milk, they can, they can over extract the espresso, they could keep the bean style. So it's really, really important. It's really difficult to, to make a great cup of coffee. It takes an awful lot of skill. So when that barista, when you walk into your favorite coffee bar and, it, and, and your barista makes that beautiful love heart, that textured milk, and they put it down in front of you, don't just stir some sugar into it. Look at that design and look at your barista and say, well done you. You know, I appreciate the skill and the artistry in what you just created. And it's that passion that we drive through all of our training programs. So um, if I put a love heart on your coffee, you're going to smile at me. If I put a swan on your coffee, you're going to go, wow. And I think that's what we try to create. So we're, 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 we're inspiring people before they even taste the coffee. And then the coffee tastes great anyway. So you've got this wonderful experience, this visual sensory experience. Uh, and it's that passion that our barista trainers push. The, they're, not, they're not barista trainers. They're coffee gurus. That's what they are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I used to live in London, I always used to go to the same coffee shop. Um, and it was a small chain. And it, it just blew me away. I would walk in and they would know my order. They would always yeah. serve it with um, a glass of water. And oh. they would just say, I've got you. Go and sit down. And it was the best thing about and I would sit there all day and just watch the you know and do my work and it was fantastic and I think that's really where I guess going back to the point of like taking on the big boys you can go to those companies on a daily basis and they won't know you from Adam and 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 even though they'll make the gimmicks of writing your name on the cup but they don't don't do it consistently no and, and you have to train your team to do that because Human beings are naturally, we're social people, but we feel embarrassed doing that. And so we need to break this embarrassment down. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience. And, you know, I love, I'm, I'm in my coffee shop today, our flagship coffee shop. And when I walk in, I, I, can, I can high five people, I can fist pump and I can, and I'm doing it because I genuinely want to do it. And, and my, my customers love to see the team doing this as well. So it's important for us to explain to them, it's not embarrassing. You do it you know, do that and, and remember somebody's name, remember their drink because you'll keep a customer for life then. Yeah, I, I would, well, right now, I'd probably give my left arm to go and have a cup of coffee in London just because you can't do it. But uh, yeah, I mean, that would be, I remember I used to travel back and that would be the first place we'd go. Sure, sure, sure. Because it was just so, it, you built a connection up with that person. So Yeah, um, and, 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 and that continue because uh, a good barista will actually make the coffee uh, and make our job really easy so uh, i can make the best coffee in the world i can grow the best coffee but it's down to that barista to put in the magic component so in the same year as launching that academy you also launched an award-winning smartphone app um i believe it was something to do with the, the connectivity of the business and making sure that quality standards were upheld can you talk a little bit about the development and how it plays a role in your business 
Sure. So um, obviously we need to quality control check the sites that, that sell our coffee and, and proudly display our wings. So we created a, an app that uh, used photo recognition software and, and it, uh, it allowed us to, to view certain parts of the, the process and you couldn't bypass it um so if there was a really handsome chap or a very pretty girl you couldn't score it really high you would still mark it down if it saw a, a mark on the steam wand and and what it would do then it would make uh sort of pretty much um, based on sort of artificial intelligence and how we collect data and what stuff needs doing what training needs doing what what, what kit needed ordering uh whether there was not enough cleaning fluids being used and that created a to-do list a checklist that was sent to head office it was then sent to the Bristol trainer so then you could resolve a problem within minutes of being on site and have all the equipment orders. And this was a clever uh, app that we developed from my, my days in tech. So um, that was a, an award-winning uh, app, um, which we still use today. Fantastic. And you can find Paddy and Scott's in many parts of the world, Singapore, Hong Kong, and you also opened some doors up in uh, Dubai as well. Can you talk through some of the challenges of working across those different countries and how that impacts your company? Well, again, uh, we export. So um, we, my export partners are the people that are doing the hard work on the ground and, and selling it through the supermarkets and the outlets. Um, I say supermarkets, um, you know, are, are multiple outlets. Um, Dubai is a very, very tough marketplace. So um, that's been incredibly tough uh, to, to, to break into. Um, and uh, you mentioned earlier on our, our product is called Sexy Black and it's high octane fuel. Uh, trying to get through, through the municipality in Dubai when they look at you and say, that isn't fuel, is it? No, it's coffee. Or <laughs> why have you called it sexy black? Well, you know, it's what we do. Uh, no. And they've got these big swords over your head. And I'm thinking, oh, no. So uh, it has been a challenge. Not all of our, you know, things ground this good are usually illegal. You know, that's a, a slogan on the back of our T-shirts. You tampon grind. You know, these are, these are quite sort of, you know, edgy, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries of what you can get away with, what you can say. Um, but I love it when I get like a grandmother that walks into our store and she sees the barista that says, you tampon grind and we'll come together. I, I love the reaction of a, of a grandmother because she gives that little thumbs up. So we're not going to ever dampen that down. But it does cause challenges in some parts of the world. How do you overcome those challenges? Is it just education? Is it, is it just saying, okay, well, that part of the world's not for us? How do you approach that? You just pay your fines, don't you? <laughs> and you don't do it again <laughs> you learn by your mistakes so we, we, it's, it's not called uh, sexy black uh, in, in the Middle East uh, it's, it's, it's another name so uh, yeah so in your own <laughs> words um, you're just getting started um, so if I was to say outline the next perfect couple of years what would happen hey look you know what C19 COVID-19 has really uh, put a spanner in the works of, of how we do things we're a very social company we're very hands-on it's about people coming together. It's about people congregating. It's about uh, our coffee shops becoming this, this hub of this fueling ambition of people getting together and collaboration. That's all been taken away from us. So the DNA of our company is being challenged. It's being challenged, but it's not being eroded. It's not being squashed. So we will come back. Um, we're pivoting more online now. So our web shop has seen sales, albeit uh, from a very low base, mm. but sort of six seven hundred percent growth in our online sales where we've put a lot of time and effort and money into marketing and understanding the b2c marketplace so my warehouses used to send pallets of coffee out every day now we're sending hundreds of parcels so everything changes the pick and pack facility the warehouse team everything has to change and adapt and we've done that within four or five months so 
I think Paddy and Scott's will become a more um, more concise business. I think we'll concentrate more on, on our on our on our profits and retaining margin. I think we won't be so gung ho. I think we'll, we'll every pound will become a prisoner, and I think that we'll become a better, stronger company when we come through C19. And I think that is the approach that every company in hospitality should take. So talk me through March of 2020. Uh, COVID-19 was just getting started. Um, that's, it seems like a completely lifetime ago, but it was only, what, four months? As a business, I, I remember seeing pictures of you on LinkedIn, like packing boxes and building <laughs> websites. What was it like being on the ground, like just having to just do what need, is needed to be done? It was, it was horrendous. I mean, literally horrendous. Um, 95% of my business comes from pubs, bars, restaurants, hotels, airlines, travel industry, uh, universities, you know, every single sector that was shut down. Um, and what happened is not only did we drop, we dropped millions of pounds worth of revenue very quickly, we was also owed huge amounts of money, which people just stopped paying us. So people just clamped down and didn't pay um, their bills. And the whole world just went into this state of shock for maybe six, seven weeks until things started to come back together again. And the government's put in place certain programs and, and furlough and bounce back loans. But it was an incredibly torrid time. And we furloughed most of our staff and there was only me and a few other people working. And uh, I learned to go back to basics. I learned to, uh, I, I've learned to use a pump truck in a warehouse, which was great. I learned that. It was great fun. You can turn it around the other day and you can scooter on it like a skateboard, which is really, really good fun. Uh, I'm sure I'm caught on camera somewhere, scooting up there, yeah, the warehouse. Uh, I've got a whole new respect now for couriers, for logistics, for warehousing. Um, I, I was in my car delivering coffee personally, um, and um, I've learned an awful lot. I was back at the machine sort of uh, serving in, in our stores, um, and that was great. So it was very humbling, very scary. Um, and um, unfortunately, we've lost, uh, we've had to lay off uh, some great people in our business who didn't deserve to be laid off. They didn't deserve, but the company is more nimble now and we need to react to uh, a drop in revenue. Um, and we need to create a, a, a company now that's ready for growth again, because we've always been a high growth business. And this is the first year where our sales have been decimated through no fault of our own. One of the things I saw online was that government program that they released recently about the, it was like a 10 pound credit um, yeah. to spend in hospitality. Can you talk a little bit about how that works? And um, I've seen a lot of people praise it. And so I'm just kind of interested in your, your sense. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it doesn't apply to alcohol. Uh, and uh, you can come in uh, Mondays, uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and uh, you can get 10 pounds off your bill or up to 50% to the maximum amount of, of, of 10 pounds. And it can only be on food and non-liquor related products. And there are, I think there's about 80 odd thousand companies that have registered for it in the UK. And apparently it's gonna cost the UK public about half a billion quid when the program is finished. And uh, subject, this is the BBC saying these, uh, these terms. But um, there's some clever ways uh, that I've seen that made me chuckle. Uh, obviously um, you can buy a half price lemon and a half price tonic but you have to pay full price for your gin. And I think that's a really clever way of getting around this. So I've seen some cheap gin and tonics in some of the bars that I've been uh, supplying coffee to. And I just think, well, good on you. <laughs> so that's how yeah. it works. There's a 50% there's a off up to the value of £10 on every transaction, and it's available through our, our stores. I would think, though, that, yes, the, the pure cost of it is, what, half a billion, as you said, but it must drive additional taxes because people are paying tax yeah. on those purchases and hopefully you would think that then people have been given hours in coffee shops and restaurants and bars monday through wednesday because of increased footfall so they're paying taxes too so 
you would hope that it would have a benefit overall. Yeah, I mean, it's the second day that's been running and um, I, I haven't seen a huge spike in sales. It hasn't doubled. I think that um, we're a very uh, habit, habitual sort of people coming every day for their coffee. Yes, it's cheaper, but are they having another one? No, they're not. Um, if the croissant is half price, are they going to have two croissants? No, they're not. So, you know, the same people are still coming in, but they're just sort of spending uh, the same amount of money. So it's, it's not driving sales. What, what, it's, what it's doing, I think, is everybody's competing for that £10. So there's a lot of people going to different stores to say, well, I'll give it a try because there's a tenner off. Mm. So I think that's creating some healthy competition. But uh, yeah, I think that, uh, I, I don't know, proof in the pudding is in the eating, as they say, and we'll know at the end how much it's cost us. But yes, I think the taxpayer will be planned. I, I guess now's the time to try things. You know, Absolutely. just yeah. there's no 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 harm in trying it, and if it doesn't work, then okay. Mm-hmm. If it does work, then great, and you can continue those types of mechanisms. It's never been done before, and these pandemics, thankfully, are not very frequent. So, um, you know, hopefully that will that will help. All right, so I have some quick fire questions for for you. When working with you, what are two behavioural qualities that others just have to show on a daily basis? Uh, energy and passion, absolutely, a hundred percent. Didn't have to think about that. And then what is one unacceptable behavior at work that you just simply do not tolerate? People being miserable. I can't stand being around miserable people. We all get down every so often. Go and grab a coffee, run around the block, come back in and smile. Then I'm happy to talk to you. Sit there being miserable. I can't deal with you. Fantastic. So thank you so much for your insights, Scott. I, I truly do appreciate the time. I know it's, it's been a crazy couple of months and uh, I really appreciate taking the time to come and uh, speak with us today. Absolutely, my president, my friend, and good, good to talk to you again. Actually, it's been, it's been a while, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, if you want to learn more about Scott, we'll we'll link your LinkedIn profile over on the show notes, as well as um, the link to the website for Paddy and Scotts too. So, if anybody wants to read up more about the company and buy some coffee as well, my uh, my sister had the the coffee bags. Um, yes, and she's, they're brilliant. And she, they're yeah, really she good. she texted me and she said um, it took me about three or four attempts to get it right because I wasn't yeah. reading the instructions. Um, but she said, this is the best coffee I've ever had. Oh, and um, so now I'm like, okay, well, I think I've got her three months supply. So I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you, you, you're good for a couple of months and then come back afterwards. So. Going the description. If you look at the, uh, it's really funny, uh, the, the, the instructions on it. I think it says something like, um, you know, use hot water. And it says uh, something like, uh, hot water is hot, try suing us now. And then it goes on, dip, keep in there, four minutes take on the bloody world and that's the instructions wow. <laughs> it's really good on the back of the back take over the world. all right well yeah i mean hopefully that will fuel her she's a healthcare worker so she needed she needed some uh, fuel so uh, but thanks again so much and i uh, really appreciate the time my pleasure Thanks again to Scott for joining me on today's podcast. I know life is very, very busy for anybody in the hospitality industry at the moment, and Scott's no exception to that. I think two points really struck me throughout our whole conversation, one of which was Scott's passion and drive. You can tell that he is so passionate about his brand and, frankly, coffee overall, and that really shines through the whole conversation, the way that he approaches training and branding his company, business the way he interacts with people you can just tell that passion wins and he exudes passion on a daily basis i loved scott's attitude to business and life being brave not being afraid to shift gears trying something new and fundamentally being different 
he spoke a lot about when he was taking on the big boys and just being ballsy and being brave and and kind of giving them a shot and a slap in slap in the right direction i really do think that's what sets paddy and scott's apart from other businesses that are very similar please do head over to the show notes we've linked scott's linkedin profile as well as the link to paddy and scott's coffee where you can learn more about the company you can also buy some of that coffee for you to enjoy at home too Thanks again for listening to episode 19 of the one-to-one career conversation podcast. If you didn't hear last week's episode, we chatted to Lorna O'Neill from Surge Communications. It was a really great insight into all things PR and communications. So if that's of interest to you, then please look out for episode number 18. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and probably anywhere else that you enjoy podcasts. Hit subscribe to be notified of new episodes. We release them every Monday. Please rate and review the show to help others find it. And you can also follow us over on Instagram and Twitter at the one to one pod. Thanks for listening.